0: You're listening to Greater L.A. from KCRW. It's the show that connects you to the people and places of Southern California. Hey there, I'm Steve Chiatekis. COP28 stands for the 28th Conference of the Parties, COP, to the U.N. Framework Convention on Climate Change. It's happening right now in Dubai. World leaders and climate scientists are there in the United Arab Emirates discussing how to reduce emissions and the use of fossil fuels. The goal is to keep planet Earth from warming more than three degrees Fahrenheit above pre-industrial levels. But you can already feel the effects of climate change pretty much anywhere on the planet, including right here in Southern California. And depending on the decisions made over there in Dubai right now and the follow through of governments from around the world, those impacts will increase by a little or maybe, sadly, a lot. Alex Hall is an atmospheric physicist and professor at UCLA's Department of Atmospheric and Oceanic Sciences and Institute of the Environment and Sustainability. It's a long title. He's also the director of UCLA's Center of Climate Science and a contributor, by the way, to the fifth national climate assessment released by the White House just a couple of weeks ago. Alex, welcome to you.
1: Thank you. It's great to be here.
0: Lay out briefly for us what, what the major goals are right now for, for the folks meeting in Dubai.
1: Uh, The major goals are to, um, you know, to reconnect about the commitments that countries have made to emissions reductions, and also to understand how we can collectively cope with the climate change adaptation challenge, which is a global challenge um, and affects us here in Southern California as well.
0: So what are you hoping will come out of that conversation then?
1: Well, you know, we, we want to make sure that countries are Um, you know, meeting their commitments to reduce um, greenhouse gas emissions. Those are those commitments were laid out in the Paris Climate Agreement, um, which is now nearly a decade old. Um, And, you know, we want to just make sure that countries are are keeping to those commitments. Um, That's one thing. Um, And then the other thing is we want to make sure that, you know, countries are also um, committing to um, helping one another with climate change adaptation and especially the countries in the in the, um, in the so-called developed world, you know, the wealthy countries of the world who have done the most um, to produce the climate change challenge. We want to make sure that they're, um, you know, they're they're there to help out with the countries that are the most in need of help with their climate change adaptation challenges.
0: I mentioned the temperature. We're trying to keep the Earth from warming more than three degrees Fahrenheit above pre-industrial levels. That just happened, didn't it? There was a there was a day a few weeks ago where Earth hit. Two degrees Celsius or 3.6 degrees Fahrenheit above those pre industrial levels for the first time in recorded history. Is that right?
1: Yeah, well, you know, we're experiencing an unusually warm year globally. Um, that's driven largely by the fact that we have an El Nino in the tropical Pacific, which is a naturally occurring phenomenon. Periodically, we get really warm temperatures there, and that's such a large area with such a large impact that it produces. You know, an impact on global temperature, and then when you lay that on top of the warming trend that has been associated with the increase in greenhouse gases, um, you know, when you combine the the natural variability of the climate system with the um, the human influence on climate, you know, you start to you start to hit these <laughs> bump up against these thresholds.
0: Well, I mean, as as a climate scientist, when you saw that, what was your reaction?
1: It's really incredible to see the um the 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 changes that we have predicted in the climate science community for decades now actually unfold. Um so it's it's a very um it's very disheartening, you know, to see these changes that we unfortunately predicted come come to fruition.
0: It's it's all pretty overwhelming and at a local level, I guess I would ask you what are some of the changes that you're documenting here? as a result of of the changing climate you know i mean that that 3.6 fahrenheit number was across planet earth but what about here in southern california what are we seeing and what can we expect
1: so in southern california we're seeing already impacts on water resources um so we see during our droughts um, we had a drought you know a couple of years ago that lasted a couple of years you know even with the meager precipitation that we received during that drought we actually got less water delivery um, because of the warmer temperatures because in, in a warmer world you get more evaporation from the land surface and from vegetation and so there's less stream flow delivered and so we've already seen a reduction in water availability during our dry spells which are you know a, a recurrent phenomenon in in california Um, That's one impact. We've also seen um, increases in the size and intensity of wildfire. We've documented that um, wildfires are sensitive to temperature also, and if you warm the climate, you produce bigger and more ferocious wildfires. And we've also seen increases in heat extremes. When you have a warmer world, you get more heat waves, and that has already also impacted um, Southern California. And, you know, we expect all of these trends to to continue as the climate continues to warm, um, as we continue to emit carbon into the atmosphere globally. We will still get more and more um, climate change, unfortunately.
0: What about sea level down in Orange County? There's this big dredging operation going on right now at some some of the beaches. there trying to shore them up. What, what, what can we expect there?
1: Yeah, so we've already seen um, a rise in sea level and we'll, ex- we'll, we'll continue to get an increase in, in sea level over the coming few decades. And that does impact the low-lying areas in Southern California. Um, you know, Places like the Marina, uh, Marina del Rey, and also the ports um, are relatively low-lying. And so a rise in sea level coupled with, say, a storm surge could inundate infrastructure and homes. Um, so yeah, if you're in a coastal area and the and it's and it's relatively low lying, um, then you have a problem. You know, our beaches are also vulnerable because they're very close to the coast, and you know we have to sometimes replenish them to keep them um, keep them healthy and available for for our use.
0: Give us some good news, professor. I I know you're the you're the director at UCLA's Sustainable LA Grand Challenge, which is hoping to turn LA into one of the world's most Sustainable megacities by the year 2050. Um, The good news is that that's on the agenda, right? And that there are people who really care, but expound on that a little bit.
1: Well, I think that we have seen globally a lot of progress in decarbonization, in reducing or eliminating our carbon emissions. Um, Renewable energy has become... um, very, very competitive now. In some, in many um, situations, it's much cheaper alternative than fossil fuels. We've seen real progress in decarbonizing our transportation infrastructure um, through the Inflation Reduction Act and the increasing adoption of electric vehicles. Um, you know, we I, I I really do think that we've turned a corner on decarbonization globally and also in California. Um, where, you know, I think we've seen real leadership from the state in, in decarbonization efforts. So I think there's really a lot of hope um, that we will um, eventually get our greenhouse gas emissions under control. Um, you know, the, the challenge is that we, we still have significant climate change to come because we're continuing to emit carbon into the atmosphere, and we will probably for, for quite some time. And so we also have to think about Our climate change adaptation challenges and we've also made progress there we've been investing in um, in reducing our water consumption in urban southern california um, through better landscaping practices um, for example um, gardening with native plants um, instead of um, instead of plants that require a lot of water Um, we've also been uh, making progress on wastewater recycling and, you know, building up that infrastructure. You know, We're starting to think about the wildfire challenge and how we can um, mitigate our wildfire risk. I think we're making a lot of progress in these different areas. And so I think there is a lot of thinking and there's a lot of action, um, and that's exactly what we need.
0: Alex Hall, climate scientist, atmospheric physicist. Professor, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Coming up, the best of the best in Orange County. The Board of Supervisors names 10 for a new Hall of Fame. But who made the cut? Gustavo's in within 10 minutes on Greater L.A. on 89.9 KCRW.
1: Introducing the KCRW Donation Car. Designed to be recycled...
0: You're listening to Greater L.A. from KCRW. I'm Steve Chiatekis. They're the unofficial backyard of Los Angeles, a popular and accessible place for you to hike and swim and enjoy the great outdoors. But unfortunately, all those visitors to the San Gabriel Mountains have started to take a toll on the local ecosystem. As trash piles up at some of its most popular locations. Thankfully, thankfully, there's a group trying to help.
2: You know, my mother used to say, always look for the helpers. Anybody who is coming into a place where there's a tragedy. Because if you look for the helpers, You'll know that there's hope.
0: For years, members of the Canyon City Environmental Project have been working to clean up and maintain L.A.'s largest public open space. And now, as lawmakers consider expanding that monument, they're asking the government to put more resources into doing the same. Nathan Nunez is founder of the project, and he's here to tell us more. Nathan, welcome. Thank you for having me on. As I mentioned at the top, we're talking about L.A.'s backyard. And when you go there on the ground at the micro level, right? You see a lot of trash and things like that, and you guys are really trying to fix it and and clean it up. How did you get started doing that?
3: Correct. Well, you know, Canyon City itself started back in 2017, 2018, when I was a freshman sophomore in college at Azusa Pacific University. And the sole purpose of Canyon City was to go up there and do the simplest, and I I feel it's the the simplest way to get back to, to land right? To go pick up trash from other people. And that's how Canyon City started. So I brought together a group of, you know, many different diverse backgrounds. And we went up there and we started picking up trash. And it doesn't matter, you know, which, which political side you're on, you know, which, uh, what are your religious values, you know, whatever it might be, it's, we're going up there to protect the land to pick up the trash, but also too, to bring awareness to these longstanding issues in the Sangreal Mountains.
0: And it's been publicized for sure. I know the LA Times did this big spread. On how there were these huge garbage pileups, particularly around the East Fork of the San Gabriel River. And recently, because of some of these issues, and I, I couldn't believe this, voters actually put the entire San Gabriel Mountains National Monument on its no list, asking people not to go there.
3: I, I, I wonder why it's gotten so bad over the years. I think you have to look at Alley County, Greater Alley as a whole. We lack open green space within our urban dense areas, within our cities, within our neighborhoods. So people are looking for ways to get out into nature. And if a, vi- if a video goes viral on TikTok or Instagram about a place in the East Fork of the Sangreal Mountains, they'll see that. So people want to go up there and, and be in nature, but they want to access the river. You see the peak months of where people are going up, and it's in the summer, the spring, and the fall, specifically in the summer. So people are going up there for water, to get away from the concrete jungle, to experience nature. And then in addition to that the other issues that we have is that the you know the US Forest Service itself the Angeles National Forest does not have the funding to be able to manage these areas with the volumes that they're receiving the Angeles National Forest's funding in 2023 is little over 6 million that's not enough to be able to manage an area that sees 4.59 million visitors per year
0: you mentioned that they don't have the resources the federal government you know in, in trying to Make sure that these places are cleaned up. And, I, and in, in the middle of my brain, I keep thinking, well, if there's so much trash, I wonder if there are receptacles there, like, you know, trash cans. But then it's like if, if those get filled up, those need to be emptied and all of that. Is that the I mean, is that the problem? I mean, yes, it's money, of course. But even if you tried to put like garbage cans along the trail to get people right to, to do that, um, you still have to empty those garbage cans and,
3: and take out the trash. Right. Well, you know, it it comes down to infrastructure too, right? If if there's so many people in a given area, the land itself can only hold so many people. So the bottom line is there's just too many people in the East Fork. So there has to be a management plan that does control the number of people. So, you know, trash receptacles, yes, of course, you know, we need more of those. But at the same time, if those trash receptacles are vandalized within a day of them being restored... Right? or them being put there? Then you still have the same issue. So it comes down to how are they enforcing laws within these areas? How are they managing this area? What's the carrying capacity of this area? And do they have the funding to be able to do all of what I just mentioned?
0: How much? How much trash do you all pick up and and take out? I mean, do you have a? Is there a number that you know we can try and wrap our heads around?
3: Well, unfortunately, the trash was so bad this past uh, June, July, August. That we weren't able to record the number of the pounds we were pulling out because it was, it was just so much. But we have a rough estimate because we did a cleanup in late August that pulled out, filled up a whole uh, roll-off dumpster that the U.S. Forest Service put up there, and those are anywhere from six to eight thousand pounds. So on one cleanup in three hours with fifty volunteers, we filled up the whole roll-off dumpster, and these are these long dumpsters, metal dumpsters. And they can carry six to eight thousand pounds.
0: That's insane.
3: When we're pulling six to eight thousand pounds of trash out with fifty volunteers who are with us doing this good work, and they're emotionally taxed, drained. I have Forest Service Forest Service employees crying, saying that they don't know what to do. They feel overwhelmed. Something needs to change. That's why I made voters list. There's a much bigger story behind it.
0: And and how can more people help? Assuming, of course, more people.
3: To be able to clean this stuff up will help, right? I, I think I think the the best way is, you know, of course I can plug my organization's Instagram and some of the other organizations who are doing the good work, right? But I also want to say that people need to let our politicians know that it's important that they address these longstanding issues. If you want a monument expansion, then you need to address these other issues with it. We need to support the Forest Service so they can have a carrying capacity, so they can better manage these areas. The people itself, we can put 100 volunteers up there, and I've had a cleanup with 80 volunteers, and we cleaned up a lot. But again, that was four years ago, and it's not sustainable. So I would love people to come follow Canyon City EP on Instagram or East Forks Golden Preservation and come support the work that we do. But I see a future where we don't have to do these cleanups as often because there's a bigger issue that needs to be addressed here.
0: Nathan Nunez, founder of the Canyon City Environmental Project, working to clean up the San Gabriel Mountains one trash pile at a time. You can find out more information on how to get involved at our website, kcrw.com slash gla. Nathan, thank you for all your work and, and to your organization as well. And happy
3: holidays to you. Thank you so much. You as well.
0: Onward now with Greater L.A. from KCRW. I'm Steve Chitakis. You know about the Hollywood Walk of Fame with folks from around the world flocking to see the thousands of celebrity stars drilled into the sidewalk. But did you know there's a Hall of Fame in Orange County? There is one now. The OC Board of Supervisors created one. And last week they announced the inaugural class of 10 notable Orange Countyans. So who's in and who's not? Our O.C. Oracle, L.A. Times columnist, Gustavo Ariano is here to talk about it. Hey, Gustavo. Hola, Steve. So what's the story with this brand new O.C. Hall of Fame? Who's behind it? And, and by the way, who decides who's going to be inducted into it?
2: So the Board of Supervisors were in December, which means no one's really paying attention to stuff and everyone's in a holiday spirit. So they decided we're going to create this Hall of Fame. So every year there's going to be 10 people inducted this for this first class. It was the supervisors among themselves who decided who the 10 people were going to be. But in future years, there's going to be an ad hoc committee created by the Board of Supervisors that's going to be new every single year. And on top of that, uh, the, the supervisors, they could also uh, nominate five individuals. And, yeah, I mean, hey, Orange County has its own Hall of Fame. Whoopee. Well, <laughs> well t- ten notable figures. Do we have any names so far? It's an interesting class, let's put it this way So, Greg Louganis, the Olympic gold diver He was cool You have Walt Disney, who never lived in Orange County But it's Disneyland, I don't know about that one Gwen Stefani, of course, no doubt Anaheim girl, totally makes sense Kobe Bryant, a guy who lived in Orange County, but of course, you know, L.A. saying, wait a minute, Kobe Bryant's not O.C., he's L.A. Uh, Amanda Beard, another gold winner, a, a, you know, swimmer, Tiger Woods, Bill Medley of the Righteous Brothers. And then you get some developers because, hey, Orange County, we we worship our developers. So Frank Zhao, one of the big developers of what's now Little Saigon, William Lyon, who most people outside of Orange County don't know. But he was huge in both uh, influencing the Republican Party here and also just the developing a lot of South Orange County and lastly but not leastly Henry Segerstrom who developed South Coast Plaza and was a long-time huge philanthropist for the arts around the area.
0: So will there be stars in the sidewalk? How how will these 10 notable <laughs> figures be be honored? Nope,
2: when you go pay your taxes, uh you go to the county hall of administration and there you go. You could see the hall. I mean, it's it's so easy to make fun of, but in a way I also think Orange County's finally realizing like People are truly interested in in our history beyond just, uh, you know, Disneyland and palm trees and orange groves. And I could find a lot of problems with this initial list, but my hope is as the years go on, you start getting people who maybe most Orange Countyans really don't know, like the families who sued to desegregate Mexican schools back in the 1940s, that would be cool. Or like some other local heroes as well. There's already people upset that there wasn't a single Latino on this initial class, even though Latinos make up about 35% of the population and there's also some to- egregious um omissions that the board of supervisors themselves said uh we don't want to get into controversy just
0: yet. So you're talking about, like, uh, Richard Nixon, right? Who yeah, of course came I mean, from Richard Nixon, yeah,
2: quintessential Orange County boy, of course, grew up mostly in Whittier, but came back to Orange County. The Nixon Library is there. And if you want to talk about influencing Orange County, another person, obvious one, John Wayne. I mean, we have a, an airport named after him. And now you're not allowed to like John Wayne. But John Wayne lived his last decade in Orange County. He also, if you want to talk about the future of Orange County, County, all of his children are half Latinos. Uh, his his son-in-law, Greg Munoz, he was the first Chicano uh, judge on the Orange County Superior Court. So this was a man who, I think history in general, we can't just have uh, unblemished heroes and sheroes, there needs to be complications here. So to not have Nixon and John Wayne, to me, it's already like, come on, like you're you're already playing politics here. Although to me, the irony is that, it's a, you know, you had Republicans on the board of supervisors who could have easily put them in and they decided not to. So I guess that's also indicative of Orange County change.
0: And again, this will happen every year, right? So the list will grow.
2: Oh, yeah. No, it's going to grow again. You're going to have an ad hoc committee every single year. My hope is that it's not stocked with people who only think history in Orange County, uh, you know, ended in like the 1960s. And the criteria of, you know, who are like the people who are eligible, either they were born and raised in Orange County, they had business to do in Orange County. And then something that's really kind of weird had one major life experience or won a big award in Orange County. I have no idea what that means. But, hey, this is why citizens should be paying attention to their history and they should be uh, sending names in to the board of supervisors for future consideration.
0: Will there be a ceremony for these first 10, you know, like with bunning everywhere and music and all that stuff? (laughs)
2: <laughs> they should really bring in Gwen Stefani to do a solo performance. To do a concert. Right there. there you go. Yeah, right in front of the Board of Supervisors. There is going to be a ceremony. There's going to be an unveiling to all that. Who will show up? I mean, it remains to be seen. Gwen Stefani, even though she hasn't lived in Orange County for a long time, she always represents Orange County. She did the farewell. Uh, concert at the late great irvine meadows she was there at the arrow uh, now the honda center for its 30th anniversary so i mean if you want the young people to show up then you're gonna bring in gwen stefani but it remains to be seen who will show up but i think residents should and again if if we're if orange county is finally truly going to celebrate its history then let's make sure it's a history that is truly inclusive and truly tells the truth
0: no doubt exciting times (laughs) ahead you see what i did there Exciting times ahead. I love you. Gustavo Ariano, columnist for the LA Times, our insider, of course, our oracle for everything OC. Gustavo, thanks. Gracias. going to do it for us this evening tomorrow an update on a big walkout and strike on the campuses of cal state university all up and down california and later in the week on thursday how a middle school compost project is helping kids face an environmental uncertainty that's yours this week on greater la on 89.9 kcrw we're always online at kcrw.com slash gla while you're there tell us how you're doing share a story idea with us get the podcast too and wherever you get the podcast for that matter, just search KCRW Greater LA. Juliana Mayo, Zoe Matthew, Kelsey Gante, Eddie Sun, Sonia Geis, Sue Margulies, Amy Ta, Carlos Ramirez, Michael Vogel, and Christian Bordall All helped run this evening's episode. I'm Steve Chiatecas. Bye-bye.